It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, where we do our best to connect the dots between who we are as intellectual, physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. And um, during these last uh, over two years now, we have been inundated with negativity, I would say. Uh, We've been inundated with stress and anxiety. And so uh, one of the things that I like to do is have people go to my website, which is www.synergyconnectionradio.com. When you get there and, uh, you know, go into the site itself, you'll see on the landing page, there is a link to Boomers Forever Young. And I do use their nutritional products. I've used them for five years. And I believe that that is what has kept me extremely healthy uh, over these challenging uh, times that we've had. A lot of people don't know the importance of your immune system, which is vitamin D as in dog three. And they don't know the importance of knowing that number. And you need to have it to be 70 or greater in order to fight off all of these viruses and the threat of viruses. Um, Anxiety and stress naturally over time will reduce your immune level. And again, a lot of people don't know that. So taking five to 10,000 international units of vitamin D is, is in my mind critical. I do it every single day. And um, I'm very lucky in that I have not succumbed to COVID or Delta or Omicron. And so I will knock on wood that that continues in in that light. The other thing that I think is critical for people to know is their C-reactive protein. And that's a C as in cat, R as in Ralph, P as in Paul test. It's a blood test. Ask your doctor for one when you go in for your physical. You want that number to be below one. Um, Again, I will tell you that mine is a 0.3 and my D3 level is an 82. And I think that that is what keeps me super healthy. So, um, you know, read the testimonies. Maybe there'll be one there that you will resonate with. Um, Look at their blogs, look at their videos, you know, check out their products. If you decide to order, use my first name, L-U-C-Y, in the discount code and you will get $5 off of your order. And that's each and every order when you do that. So it helps. Uh, I think we're all looking for little ways to maybe shore up our finances uh, one way or another. And so that's another way while making sure that you stay healthy. Okay, I have as a returning guest, somebody that I had a ton of fun with the last time we were on and he was talking about his book. And that is Matthew Morales. And he is a motivational speaker a thought leader, and um, he connects people back to the soul of who they are and teaches them how to become more profitable, not only, I think, as a business, but also profitable as a human being, Uh, so that as you go through life, you're feeling abundant as opposed to anything else in your life. And we are going to talk today about perfectionism and how Sometimes that whole concept of I have to do everything perfectly can bite you in the butt. That's true, right, Matthew? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It took me years and years to understand that because I'm such a perfectionist. Uh And finally, someone had to explain to me that just done over perfect. And I'd argue 
quality over quantity. Yes, absolutely. Quality over quantity, but don't allow perfection to stop you from starting in the first right. place or finishing. Right. right. Yeah. Because yeah, how many people do you know? Because I know a bunch of them over my years that have always said, I will do it when. I'll do it when I have enough resources. I'll do it when I finish my degree. I will do it exactly. when, you know, and they'll have all these reasons, but the underlying reason is I'm afraid I'll fail. Exactly. I'm afraid I'll fail. I'm afraid what others will think. And a lot of people don't realize. So procrastination and perfectionism are related. And so when I tell people that procrastination comes from caring what other people think, it's because of that connection of perfectionism. Procrastination comes from imagining this giant beautiful picture in our head and then we can't match this picture in our head and we don't want anyone to see that and so then we push it away and push it away and push it away and push it away instead of just um, allowing it to exist done over perfect Mm -hmm. really 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 fascinating um now in your own research and your own experience with it where do you think it started because to me it starts when you're very little yeah, yeah. So I didn't understand done over perfect until my book, which was that I paid an editor and then there were things I didn't like about it. So then I threw that away and then paid another editor and then it like that and then put it up and then I kept having issues along the way. And then eventually it got to this point where I started avoiding it. And so I realized that some, someone said to me, one of my editors just said to me, listen, done over perfect. The content is great. The story is phenomenal. It's engaging, done over perfect. And so when I let it out, that was finally the first time for me that I understood how important that is to just let it. And now it exists and now it's out there and now people are buying it and now it's this thing. But it was such an obstacle for me before because everything always had to be perfect since I was little. When is the first time you remember feeling like I have to be perfect? Oh, man. (laughs) When I was young, when I was young, my father told us to clean the room, me and my brothers. And then when he got back, he said, I thought I told you to clean the room. He said, we did clean the room. He said, no, you didn't. And then he took everything off the, the, from the table and threw it on the ground. He said, clean it again. And so then I remember trying to clean it again and spending hours in that understanding and realizing, you know, and and I actually never realized that I was always told to clean my room, but never taught how. Ah. And so then having to live up to this idea of perfect, okay, I have to make it perfect. Now I have to everything. Otherwise my, you know, my father's going to get angry. My mom's going to get angry. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. So it has to be perfect. Otherwise, if I don't do it right, I'm going to get in trouble. But I wasn't taught how to do it right. I wasn't taught what it meant to clean my room. So, you know, are you kind of saying that you kept doing it thinking, is this perfect? And then finding out that that didn't measure up either? Exactly. This doesn't measure up or this doesn't measure up or this doesn't measure up. And so, and obviously it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't something they were trying to do. But it's something I've noticed a lot of my friends and their parenting, a lot of the ways they they grew up and the way their parents grew up is that we're told to do something, but never actually taught how to do it or what your definition of that means, right? So one thing my father did teach me was when I washed the dishes, 
to wash it twice. And I remember exactly the lesson of wash first it's you're scrubbing it and then you're cleaning. It. The first time isn't cleaning it. The first time is scrubbing it, then it's cleaning it. So I have this vivid picture, but I don't have a vivid picture of understanding that clean means throwing these things away first, then putting the clothes up, then doing all these things, then wiping everything down, this pattern, this system, this way of doing things. Mm -hmm. So some things we were taught to do and some things we weren't taught to do, but then we're expected how to do all of those. So then I created this need to be perfect. You remember the show, The Karate Kid? Yes. Okay, Mr. Miyagi, mm -hmm. when he was showing um, his student, you know, like wax on, wax, wax off. On. Yeah, and that, that's the, I don't know, the visual picture that I have is when you were talking about washing the dishes, you know, scrub yeah. it first one way and then wash it uh, another mm -hmm. way. And so with your own daughter, who I recall is about 14? Uh, she's about to be 13. 13. 13. Okay. I was somewhere close. Um, yeah. But um, are you helping her understand, you know, like how to do things? Not necessarily that they have to be done perfectly, but so that she at least understands maybe organizational skills or she understands something. Even more importantly, I take it a step further and I explain why each step matters. And okay. so I think that's the difference. And I really do make it an importance of why this step exists in the first place, because then it doesn't seem important. And then there's no reason for you to do it because mm -hmm. it doesn't seem important to you. Mm -hmm. So even for a while, when I taught preschool or kindergarten, um, they would be yelling at the kids, walk in a single file line, everyone walk in a single file line, everyone grab the banisters. And the kids would never listen Four or five-year-olds are never listening. They're running around. And the only difference I said was, okay, kids, we grab the banister so that we don't fall all of them started grabbing the banister. Ah, okay. That's it forever. And for years and years, they couldn't figure out how to get these kids to grab the banister. And all I did was show them, well, this is what happens if I don't. And so that difference of explaining why. So yes, I do. If, if I'm telling my daughter something, I say, well, does she know how to do this? I assume that she doesn't. And if she doesn't know how to do it, right? Or I find out if she does, or if she doesn't know how to do it properly, if she doesn't, I explain to her why each step is important and why they exist. You know, I'm thinking even with kids, the instructions at bedtime, go brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. What does that mean? Yeah. What does it mean? So you, you put a toothbrush in your mouth and move it around, but that's not going to mm -hmm. prevent gum disease if they don't understand exactly. that this is the proper way to brush teeth. Yeah, exactly. This is the proper way. This is what it's doing. When you're scrubbing, what's happening? What happens when you brush your tongue? Mm -hmm. what, where everything is going? How does it work? How right. many people actually sit there and tell their children this? And this is really important. But then we get upset when they do it wrong. And then children create this perfectionism. And then we're upset about this perfectionism. But that's the pattern. That is the pattern. I'm also thinking that, um, you know, we talk about eating healthy. And I'll give you an example because this I've never, ever forgotten. And it was such a cool um, recognition, I guess is what I want to say. But back when I was in graduate school, a long time ago now, I was in Detroit and there was a, um, like a daycare uh, facility mm -hmm. and um, children, there were three and four years old. Part of our observation of them was, you know, at lunchtime, what did they do at lunchtime? And, they, and part of the premise was, will they balance out their food so they are eating healthy? 
And mm-hmm. most of us were thinking, no, they're going to go for cookies and they're going to go for junk food. Uh, and that isn't what happened at all. When they're young, like three and four, uh, we put tables together of different food groupings. So there would be a table with more vegetables, another table with fruit, another table with more complex carbohydrates, uh, and another table with protein, and then their beverage table. And then there was snacks, you know, because we made Mm -hmm. sure that that was out there too. And it was absolutely amazing to see that on some days, because we did this for a month, and on some days, the kids would have on their plate, primarily protein, the cheese, and maybe some meat and a couple pieces of maybe fruit. Another day it might be the complex carbs, you know, and, but they got to choose. It wasn't a matter of us choosing their portions or anything else they chose. And I'm thinking that today there's so many adults that don't understand what healthy eating is. They eat based upon desire. Maybe they are in the mood for sugary stuff, which is addictive, or maybe they're in the mood for, you know, all fruit or something, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily think about what is going to keep them healthy because nobody taught them what healthy means. So that's. Yeah. And children, the other thing is children don't know same thing. They don't know what that is. So I, I find it interesting. Obviously I, like I said, I taught children. So I watched for a very long time, these kids how parents believe that children don't like vegetables, but that's not true. Children don't know what vegetables are. And Mm -hmm. if the only thing they ever had was a vegetable, then they wouldn't have anything to compare it to. They would have nothing else. And so there are children that it will see a snack or candy or whatever and won't touch it. Why? Because they've never seen it. They've never experienced it. And so their their, the child is going to what they've experienced and they've experienced vegetables and they eat vegetables all the time. And to them, sweets are fruit because that's what their parents showed them. And so you're right. You know, these, these habits, these things, we teach them this and either we teach them what we know or we teach them what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we don't know how to be healthy. And so we eat in a way that's not getting us healthy and we right. pass those to our children. Right. So that's why a lot of times when we think that um, someone got diabetes or certain diseases uh, in a genetic fashion, it was actually uh, a food fashion. It was passed down because of habits, habitual fashion. So right. not always the case, but that's shown in a lot of cases. So that's re- I think that's really, really important. It is. I mean, it, I'm just thinking it goes across the board, really. Um, kids that, you know, grow up not really knowing maybe how to, um, gosh, I mean, there's just so many things, how to dress. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they come up with these crazy combinations that they might put on going out the door and then they get teased uh, because of what they put together. And so maybe just, you know, some training i don't know that that's the right word but a better understanding of you know you put on this kind of clothes when it's cold and you put on these kind of clothes when it's hot and you put on this combination because it kind of goes together and maybe learning a little bit about color um and color composition yeah just all all of those things um Mm -hmm. and then communication i i'm just i'm remembering back when my children were young and um you know, you'd say, how was your day? They get home from school. How was your day? Okay. You know, well, what'd you do? Nothing. (laughs) One word kind of things. I remember that all the time. (laughs) What'd you do today? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) 
And so maybe learning to ask and helping children. In fact, I'm working as a therapist. I'm working with a young lady right now who is uh, 14 and it's so much fun to work with her, but um, she is pretty communicative, but I was helping her understand that there are some words that if she learns to use them now, will be with her for a lifetime with her children. And that's never to ask the word why, because when you ask why you become defensive in your response, you're listening no more to what the conversation is. And instead you're basically um, developing your response, you know, because yeah. you're being attacked. So I was helping her understand that the words, what, where, who, when, and how are information seeking. So with a child, you know, what made you think that was a great idea? And then you stop, you don't lecture, you don't do anything else. You just stop mm -hmm. and you let them respond. You know, when did you decide to do that? Stop, get information because they actively can't listen, actively listen. Well, God gave us two ears. So we would listen more than we talk. Than we spoke, yep. <laughs> yep. And, um, and she was really surprised because she was thinking about how many times she's asked, why, why did you do that? Instead of what made you think that that might be a good idea. Yeah. What, where did the idea come from? Mm -hmm. you know, and, what gave you that idea? You know, that's part of communication, isn't it? Is, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a matter of perfectionism at that point, but believing that I can never say it right. Believing yeah. that I don't know how to communicate with you. And so as a result, maybe that's why they say nothing or it was exactly. a good day because they don't want to get grilled and you know, they just want to go to their room or go get a snack. And their answer might not be good enough. Yeah. Exactly. Perfectionism also perfectionism also kept me from understanding communication as well. And I had a phenomenal girlfriend at one time that with great communication skills who helped me notice and identify these things. So if she asked me how I felt, I would say something like, well, I think that, well, hold on. I didn't ask you what you think. I asked you how you feel mm -hmm. Well, I'm trying to tell you how I feel. No, you're trying to tell me what you think. How do you feel? Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you annoyed? Are you happy? These are right. feelings, right. right? Right. But I'm trying to say, well, I think this and I think that, and I, you know, this, this difference or the difference between seeing something, hearing something and imagining something. Right. So we say, if you see a person smiling, you say, Oh, I see that person is happy. Well, no, you see the person smiling. And so you imagine that person is happy. Those are two very different things. Yeah. Very, very different things. And that made me realize as well that, you know, perfectionism, it kept me from even understanding my own feelings, where I was, how I saw things, how I understood things. And that really changed things for me, you know, and really active listening. You know, that is so true because a lot of people keep the image of I'm happy or whatever it might be. They keep that image, but that's not what's going on on inside. Exactly. Exactly. They're not representative of each other. Mm -hmm. and so that's a really powerful distinction and understanding that active listening past of what someone is saying and into what they're feeling, what they're actually trying to express and what even past what they can't express. And so for me, it was, I can't express that. I actually care what other people think. And I express it by pretending I do don't care what other people think, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's the opposite, it shows, which is the opposite, and then it shows up as perfectionism. And it's funny how a lot of these things do that. Same with social anxiety, right? Think about how 
um, in itself, how ironic it is that it can even exist. Social anxiety is, well, I'm worried that this person is judging me, but I'm judging them, judging the fact that they might be judging me. So I'm doing to them what I'm worried they're doing to me. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Right. And we do that with a lot of different things. Right. So social anxiety cripples us, which is a form of perfectionism, worrying about what other people think, but we're doing to them, we're punishing them in that exact way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's easier not to say anything mm-hmm. for fear of being judged. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I uh, have pointed out on a couple of different shows um, is we do spend 95% of our time in our brains. And, and we do exactly what you're talking about. We're analyzing and we're judging and we're trying to figure things out, um, you know, which way they, we should go or something. And we only spend about 5% of our time going to our heart. And yet we have 40 million brain cells that are in our hearts to help us with our intuition. And our intuition never lets us down. If, if we really can stop long enough and breathe, and just say, what is my heart telling me to do? What is my heart saying? Then we will be guided in the, the right direction for us. Maybe not for anybody else, but it'll be the right direction that we should go in. And instead, I would say, especially over the last couple of years, um, maybe the last five, you know, we have gone to pundits, you know, like whether it's on CNN or whether it's on Fox or wherever it is to get our information instead of, again, going within and saying, what resonates with me? And so whether it's about health or politics or world affairs or whatever it might be, I think we all need to learn how to go find our own information and not just look at what somebody else is saying and, and accepting that as the truth. I agree. That's a big part too of, of real truth seeking, right? It's, it's inside of here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the way, like you said, intuition, we call it intuition because it's to be in tuned. We're in tuned with something, something mm-hmm. that's naturally going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I completely agree with you about that. There was something else I was going to say and I lost it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> maybe it'll come flying back in. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's okay. So do you help your daughter learn how to go within to find her own truth? Yeah, we do a lot of interesting exercises, actually, from different prayers and meditations. That's what I was actually going to say. Different prayers and meditations, different things from shamanism and from um, other practices that we do. What I was going to say was I was uh, uh, most of my life, I spent 99% of my time inside of my brain, inside of my mind. Mm-hmm. And I learned, you know, once I learned about meditating, which I teach to my daughter and going within uh, and this idea that I don't sit down to meditate. I sit down to contemplate and I meditate while I'm doing everything else. Ah. So now it's switched uh-huh. and now it's 99% of my time is living through my heart space and living through peace and living without the thoughts, without thoughts, but then being able to sit down and contemplate on the things that I need, want, would like for the future and getting those worked out and then going back in to moving, but through the heart, through the heart space and more of a thoughtless space. 
And so teaching her that as well, that's a big practice. How do you go about teaching her to do that? Because with kids, their minds are typically all over the place. You know, in my experience, everyone's mind is all over the place. And that's the reason <laughs> we do it. Right. So I, I actually, I, I find it really sad lately that um, I see a lot of posts of people saying, uh, talking about neurodivergence, ADHD, ADD, and pointing out symptoms of ADD, ADHD. And obviously some of them are right, but in a lot of cases, people are just putting things that are completely normal that everyone experiences very consistently, but they're identifying it as a disease. And so much so that a hundred years ago and 200 years ago, but um, even Andrew Carnegie did uh, an experiment where people said, well, how can you do what you do? He said, well, I have the ability to focus on one thing for five minutes. People are like, no, no, you, you know, that's not, that's easy. That's not it. He said, no, it's not easy. None of you can do it. And so when he put them all to the test, he realized none of them could even hold their attention and focus for 30 seconds wow. for five minutes. <laughs> and that's a true thing. It's something that we develop. It's a skill we develop. And it's a very common skill that people aren't developing so much so that thinking that we get distracted or paying to, to all these things that some people are starting to self-diagnose as neurodivergent. Children, same with children. This is a skill we can learn at any age. And same with children. Some children, if their parents are naturally meditating all the time, they don't need to learn it. They just do it because we do what they do. If a child sees their parents with anxiety all the time, it's likely that their child witnesses that and lives and does the same thing for that anxiety. And if we uh -huh. eat with anxiety, we speak with anxiety. If we speak with anxiety, we talk with anxiety. We grab the fork with anxiety. So we teach our children to do it that way as well. So when we're around peaceful people or really calm people, their children end up doing the same thing. So these are very easy things to teach. So think about like when you, the, the person's dog who barks the loudest is usually the person yelling, shut up. That's true. Who barks has the barking dog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Teach our children by doing. And so I'm not always correct, but I'm always taking more steps to do it myself and do it myself. And I always do things with her. I don't just say, go do this. I don't do that with my daughter. I say, hey, let's work on some fashion. She loves to design. Let's work on some fashion. Hey, I'm going to do some chess. You want to do a puzzle with me? Hey, I'm going to clean. Let's clean this together. While I clean this, do that. So it's always this together thing. And it's always this fun learning thing. And it's always this simple thing. So even meditation, if I bring it up, hey, I'm going to meditate. Can you go two minutes without a thought? You know, the, the best way to go without a thought for most people is to focus on breathing. Absolutely. Focus and on so breathing. if they can watch their belly go up and down, um, you know, and, and focus there on breath, then they'll have a, a better success chance. So, and that's the point of the understanding that we don't sit down to meditate we sit down to contemplate and we meditate while we're doing everything else because we can always remember our breath. Mm -hmm. Even now while we're speaking, I'm meditating. Even now while we're speaking, I'm focusing on my breath and letting the thoughts flow past rather mm -hmm. than, oh, what about this? And you're going to say this. So now I'm going to say this. And 
it's not like that. There's this mm-hmm. pause, there's this reflection, there's this peace. And so we can do it in all moments. Mm-hmm. And so the more we do it, the more it becomes a simple thing. And I do with her as well. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. let's remember our breath. Let's focus on our breath while simultaneously feeling the air on our skin and taking in all the sounds around us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is awesome that you're doing that with her because then she is learning you know, that peaceful place that you can go when you need to make decisions or when you need to, you know, contemplate about anything. Um, there is a peaceful place you can go and do that um, as opposed to so many are doing it out of maybe anxiety or out of stress. And yeah. the other thing that I, I was thinking when you were talking is how many people multitask, <clears throat> which would give them that ADHD or ADD kind of quality because their thoughts do bounce from whatever's in front of them to something else that they need to do. And uh, so that's, that's really quite fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, this, this sometimes because we're multitasking, we're doing these things. We, a lot of people are self-identifying them as neurodivergent. And I'm not saying that they aren't, I'm just saying that there are people for some reason that because they uh, resonate with some of the, the things that a neurodivergent or ADHD person has that they're self-diagnosing and not realizing, no, actually some of these are just something that needs to be trained. Mm-hmm. Attention is something that needs to be trained. Mm-hmm. Medita- meditation is one way to do that. Art is one way to do that. Business is one way to do that. Right. Right. Um, when you think about perfectionism, and you were working on your book and everything. Um, do, do you think that there's a lot of people who have not been able to live life at all because of the fear that they don't do it well enough? Yeah, so, oh, so much so. A lot of people get started because of perfectionism, but the big torture is not finishing because of it. Mm-hmm. As I said, the difference, we create this imagining, you know, right? We have this wild imagination. We create a nation of images in our mind. Mm-hmm. And then now we live as if those images are the truth. Mm-hmm. But really, they're just images. It's not the truth. And then we get so boxed in by this idea and we trap ourselves by this. But that's just an image. It's just an imagination. It's up to us to make things into fruition, right? And so what we do with our hands is never, ever, ever going to come out exactly the way it happened in those images. And we have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. That's step one, just being okay with that. And my book almost didn't come out because there were so many mistakes and so many issues and so many things I didn't like about it. And then finally, I just said, I don't care. I don't even care if there's typos in it. I'm putting it out there. And then I put it out there and I'm getting so many positive reviews and positive conversations, even though there were mistakes in there. And no one seemed to care because they said, wow, the story was so good. I couldn't put it down for the first hundred pages. Wow. That's really saying something. Right. It, you know, yes. And so it's a, a great compliment because people are looking past that. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I remember actually, I went to a phenomenal meeting, multi, it was a millionaire seminar and this millionaire was standing on stage and he was teaching the most beautiful lessons. I mean, about sales, about customer service. But he kept saying the F-bomb every 20 words, just kept F-bomb, F-bomb, F-bomb. But phenomenal, phenomenal content that he was given. And then finally, somebody rose their hand and they said, hey, 
I love what you're saying, but I'm getting distracted by the fact that you're cursing. He said, this, you know, this is unprofessional. And he said, oh, I've been waiting for someone. He said, isn't it interesting how someone can be giving you all the secrets to life and all the positive and everything you need, but the only thing you can seem to focus on is the negative? <laughs> and so he one was bad doing thing it on about purpose. Me, he was doing it on purpose. Yeah, he, yeah. Was pur- he was purposely doing it, showing that, you know, and it's funny, right? How we can be so distracted, so attentive to one thing, so attentive to that one little negative thing was his vice was that he cursed. He cursed all the time, but the things he gave you were phenomenal. And mm-hmm. so can we overlook that and look past that mm-hmm. to get the good out of it? Mm-hmm. So that was a really good lesson. Oh, that's a phenomenal lesson. Um, and what was interesting is that everybody was willing to overlook it for a fairly long period of time until somebody exactly. said, hey, by the way, I would get so much more if you would stop doing that. If you would stop doing that. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. I said, well, that's great. I understand. But you could also get so much more by not focusing on that. Yes. Yes. That's the part that mattered. Right. right. It was always this. So. And, and that's kind of what you're saying about your book is there are mistakes in it. But if people only focused on catching the mistakes, then they would miss the, beauty the whole gonna, point. <laughs> they missed the whole point. They missed the whole point of the beauty of the book, right? Mm-hmm. And what's uh, right. And so, you know, about the book, never before again. So we're mm-hmm. talking about these poverty mentality. Right. And so we can learn spiritually, financially, all these different things about it in the book. And you learn these secrets about finances and about spirituality, or you can let this typo deter you and go, man, this guy's probably an idiot. And (laughs) I'm not going to listen to anything he says, you know, which happens to people. People do it all the time. So I was just talking to someone. We saw a typo on their website and they said, oh, I don't want to work with them. I said, why? There's a typo on their website. I said, I understand how that can make it seem perceived this way, but that typo could have ended up on there any millions of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And I definitely understand that now, knowing that after I printed this book and did it, I had to go through five editors and there were still mistakes that eventually I just said whatever to understand that sometimes things just happen. Right. You know? Right. Hmm. So. so one of the big messages is don't let fear keep you from moving forward and don't let things that are maybe right in front of your eyes keep you from seeing the bigger picture analysis paralysis yes that's been around a while and that's so true is mm-hmm. uh again i'm going back thinking of people that i personally knew years ago that were working on their second or third phds because they weren't ready you know to go do what they really needed to do they you know with their life and so mm-hmm. they were working you know in very upscale restaurants as servers um, while they were going to school, but, you know, they'd finish one degree and embark on something else just because they were so afraid of getting out there. Yeah. It's a scary thing. And I, you know, what's funny actually, and artistry also helped me understand this breaking past this analysis, paralysis, understanding done over perfect. I had a roommate that was one of the most beautiful artists I've ever seen. And she could do realism with charcoal some of the most phenomenal work. It was so inspiring and motivating and beautiful. Okay. Mm. And so when I saw this, I am always imagined that when you're doing charcoal, and then I eventually learned how to do this myself, that when you're doing realism, right, 
you're drawing it and you draw that person the first time you see them, you draw it perfectly. But there's literally one ugly layer and then they don't erase it. Another ugly layer on top of that. And then another ugly layer on top of that and another ugly. And then all of a sudden there's this beautiful textual three-dimensional realistic drawing of this person that was literally a mess on top of a mess on top of a mess. But an artist knows to just keep going and to keep building on top of that. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me. Same with writing. The first draft in writing is not the rough draft. It's impossible for the first draft to be the rough draft. The first draft is called pre-writing. It came out of your mind. And now you take out the garbage, throw all that away, reorganize it. And now you've got a rough draft, which is organized garbage, <laughs> you know, and sure. then you take it from there. And then you take that garbage, put some more on top and you put some, more, and then eventually it's this beautiful masterpiece mm-hmm. done over perfect. Mm. And isn't it interesting too, that that is the depth of who we are. Sometimes, you know, life gives you, uh, so many obstacles, and it's how you uh, overcome them, how you, um, I guess, embrace them, so that it becomes a part of your gift to humanity. Yeah. Because if we didn't have all these messes, as you were referring to them, then we wouldn't be very deep ourselves. We wouldn't understand what life maybe is really all about. Yeah, and we're multi. We're these multiple dimensional beings and these mm-hmm. multi-dimensions are these layers these layers of messes these layers of beauty these layer and that's what makes me my beautiful self and i can never be tied down to one image i am bigger than my name i'm bigger than my thoughts and my mind i am bigger than my own heart i'm bigger than all these things right right uh and and that's a powerful powerful thing to not be limited by any of these things right but perfectionism perfectionism is limited because it says this is what perfect is. Right, right. And, you know, I, again, I kind of think that all of us from childhood on, that's where we're learning some of these lessons. I do remember, and people that know me very well have heard me tell this story, but I remember when I was a teenager, my mom was in the hospital and my dad was, you know, obviously very concerned about her well being. And so he was on edge, but I was polishing our dining room table. And I remember very clearly that I was doing it. I thought the way you should polish a table. I mean, I was like 17, so I didn't really know. And I didn't do it the way he wanted it done. And so he was yelling at me because I wasn't doing it his way. And you're right, he didn't show me. I guess he assumed um, that I would know. And we know what assume means. (laughs) But, um, But nevertheless, you know, that whole understanding of perfectionism that you know, you learn these little things in stages. And so then when I looked at furniture in the future, I learned to look at it in terms of the grain of the wood, which is what he was talking about, that if you're putting polish on, you go with the grain. And isn't that true of people that we kind of need to go with the grain with people and kind of look at what their roughness is and maybe try to stay away to some degree from that. Um, Or follow those lines. Or follow the lines. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff. What else do you want to tell us about your book? Because this new one, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, it was, I actually just reread it um, by accident the other day. I would like to say this. Um, I'm really proud of myself. I have some extra confidence in myself because I picked up the book the other day just to um, randomly open 
and take a picture. And I ended up reading for over an hour. And I just fell entranced by my own book. And I was like, wow, I'm really, really, really proud of this. Like it's, I think it's, it's really, really exciting. It's really funny. It's really fun. And so um, I know that wasn't quite what you asked, but that was just a revelation for me. No, I think to appreciate what you have written Mm -hmm. is wonderful because you didn't approach it critiquing it. You approached it as immersing yourself into the story and recognizing the value of it, you know, for anybody who reads it. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it just, it did. It really hit me. I was, and I was worried and concerned at first, right? We have this, what do you call it? The, um, this, what, author's fraud what's the word i'm looking for i don't think anyway, it's writer, writer's block that isn't no no know. the word it, it's when you it's when you feel like a fraud I oh okay okay but i um, but like i felt like that for a while i felt like that for a little bit right that uh-huh. happens sometimes and so then i picked it up and i was like oh my god there's so much value in this and the story's so good and it's so much fun you know um but for anyone who doesn't know once again it's called never be poor again a guide to money as a spiritual practice. And it's me teaching financial lessons, except I'm teaching through the stories of me not following the rule. Mm-hmm. And so you get to witness me being poor and you get to witness me being get, getting robbed and traveling the world and having a gun to my head and making a lot of money and losing a lot of money and all these things to understand the basic principles that follow the universe and follow finances. The book, The Alchemist, I'm sure you're more than familiar with it. And so that's kind of what he did, Yeah, is that he was searching for the gold and not recognizing the beauty as he was exploring, looking for that. Yeah, that was within him. I think that was, that's probably the most common book I've gotten it related to actually from people reading it is The Alchemist Alchemist. because of that, because Mm -hmm. you are getting this whole philosophical, beautiful story from beginning to end. Where, where I'm looking for riches and at the end I find what's inside of my heart. Mm-hmm. But you're also simultaneously actually getting financial advice, sound financial advice. Right. Yeah. And you so. have learned to listen along the way. In the exactly. beginning, you weren't, you know, as, as much, um, mm-hmm. uh, I would say, attuned to maybe hearing what others might have to say because you were in your head so much. And then as you began to learn to go within and be in touch with your feelings, you, you know, discovered your path, I think. I love that you distinctified the difference between hearing and listening too, Mm -hmm. uh, because you're right. I heard, I was willing to hear what people had to say, but listen is to take a list and bring it within literally. That's literally what it is to listen, to bring it within. And so that was the difference. And that was what you noticed the change in my story was I went from reading hundreds of books, but like not really doing anything about it. So I heard and I was willing to listen. But then when finally I was flat broke in another country, couldn't eat for days, had just gotten out the hospital and no clue what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I had no choice but to instead start to listen. Mm-hmm. and start to apply and start to take all the things I spent my whole life learning about and actually practically applying them to my life because right. it was all worthless until I did. Right, right. And isn't that true? I mean, again, I'm going to go to the analogy of fixing a dinner. You can either prepare food and it's just basic food 
or you can incorporate, you know, the different flavors and, you know, salt and bitter and, you know, sweet and, you know, all of the things that we have as taste buds and create this masterpiece, you know, because it's food, but it's not food anymore because of the way you've prepared it. So, you know, going again. Exactly. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that too. And same, you know, I use that in my book, the idea of a recipe. It was that all these chefs before me, all these masters before me were creating recipes. And no matter how intelligent I am, I can't swap flour for sugar and expect a cake to appear. No matter how <laughs> intelligent, right? That, right? I, no matter, I can be the biggest genius in the world, but I just can't do that. It was a basic formula and a basic recipe, which I wasn't following. Mm-hmm. But once I understand that basic formula, once I understand that recipe, the artistry in me gets to be born and I can make it a cupcake or a wedding cake. I can make a big, small, blue, red, topsy-turvy, upside down cake, right? And so we can make all these different iterations, but I need to be able to follow at least the recipe, at least the laws. And that was my fundamental change. And that was actually what helped me move past perfectionism as well. Mm-hmm. It gave you the creativity to take everything, all the ingredients and make it your own. Yeah. It's funny how perfectionism seems like when you, you seem like you're creative because you have this perfect image and beautiful image in your mind, but really it's very limiting. It doesn't allow you to be creative because now it can only be this way. And if it's not this way, it's not good enough for anyone to see. Now I'm paralyzed and nobody will ever get to see it. I have experience my beautiful work. <laughs> very true. Well, listen, tell everybody how they can find your book um, because we're coming to a close here and um, I want them to be able to communicate with you or talk to you and certainly go out there and purchase your book and learn from all your wisdom. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Check out my book, Never Be Poor Again, A Guide to Money. It's a spiritual practice on Amazon. It has a beautiful orange cover. You can follow me on Instagram, Matt of All Trades, Matt period of all trades and learn about finances from there. And you can contact me directly. I appreciate it. And make sure to check it out. Share this with your friends. Make sure to watch Lucy's show and show Lucy's show to other people as well. Well, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, you go out there and have a beautiful remainder to your day. And uh, remember, Valentine's is on Monday. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have a special day with whoever you're going to have that special day with. Thank you. Yourself. I'll send my mother chocolates. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Thank you, Matthew, for being on the show again. We Thank will you so much. check back with you soon. And uh, everybody go out there and please make this your very best life. Bye-bye. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.